Hello, baseball fans, and welcome back to uh, one of the final episodes of 2020 of Swings and Mishes. I am your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by Craig Mish. Craig, how's your Hanukkah going? How's your December going so far? Well, it's great to talk to you. Great to talk some baseball with you again, Jeremy. Happy holidays to you and happy holidays to everybody else out there. And yeah, we're right in the uh, we're we're heading toward the home stretch of the of the end of Hanukkah here. So it's definitely been different not being around uh, my entire family every single day or every single night, which is kind of what we've done in the past. But different year for sure. But hopefully everyone out there is is celebrating in the way that they celebrate and whatever they celebrate. And and definitely best wishes in 2021 to all of our listeners and subscribers and and all the people that have supported us through the years for sure. So good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you as well. It's been almost a month since the last time we spoke. That was our episode uh, featuring our interview with Kim Ang. And now we're here on episode 99 of Swings and Mishes, (laughs) which is pretty crazy to think about. So maybe we should be planning something special for the next one. Uh, But here we are, episode 99, and we're back talking Marlins offseason. And you know, things have been moving pretty slow so far, I think, across Major League Baseball this offseason. What are you hearing in regard to the Marlins specifically as, you know, things obviously have not been moving too quickly? Yeah, this this is uh, usually a fun time for me, and the winter meetings are always fun. I usually go to the winter meetings wherever they are. I, I suppose that there's this notion that there's some sort of virtual winter, winter meetings going on. And while the managers are speaking this week... I really am not getting that sense that this is a virtual mm. winter meetings. It just kind of feels like an off season where there are calls being made and and different deals being done, trades and and things of that nature. But I, I think that you are right. I think it does feel slow. We really haven't had any major signings. It feels like the James McCann one to the Mets is the one that got the most attention and popularity. But honestly, with um you know, a lot a lot of what happens in, in what I do and, and I think that what other people do, at least I don't want to speak for other people, but, you know, there, there are rumors that are out there. But very mm-hmm. few of any rumor that I've seen has been substantiated because I just don't think any of them are accurate. I, I really don't think that a lot of teams have been very active in free agency. Uh, I, I think they have spoken for sure, but I don't think that there are $200 million offers out there for anybody at this point. And I'm following all the big names. I'm following all the names on the Marlins. And, and I think that from Miami's perspective, it, to take people behind the curtain, I think that's why people listen to this, is, is I right. do think that they are active. And I think that they are active on the bullpen front. And, but, I, but I don't think that any of the higher tier free agents as far as the bullpen in terms of free uh, free agents specifically mm. uh, are going to be assigned uh, by Miami. I just I don't see it in my conversations that I've had all across the league from wherever to wherever you want to put it. I, I have not even gotten a notion that they are in on mm. the bigger guys. And I would think that if they were, those calls would be made by now, at least my assumption would be because that's generally how it works. You don't have to make an offer. You don't have to throw money out there, but you have to kind of establish that this is a player that we would like. And that's not to say that the market can't evolve and players can be had for cheaper at the end of the line. But I don't anticipate, for example, names like Liam Hendricks or Alex Colome or even Brad Hand to that degree. I I don't think that the Marlins are going to end up with any of them unless the market changes significantly. Now, that being said, 
The Marlins, simply put, didn't have their ninth inning guy until later in the winter, two years in a row. Last year mm-hmm. with with, uh, with Brandon Kinsler, as he signed while I was at the Billy Joel concert. I won't forget that one. <laughs> and right. and the year before, Sergio Romo came in right before they uh, started the season, essentially. I believe it was right before FanFest uh, he ended up coming in, or even right after FanFest. It was right around that time. So uh, we could be headed down that road again, and I think Kinsler is an, op- is an option also. But Jeremy, just to kind of tie a bow on it, my expectations are if you're going to see some sort of high-level, elitish type closer, it is going to come via trade. That would be my mm. estimate, if indeed that's the route they're going to go. And there are some names out there that I feel are up for the taking out there. Uh, and, and not that I have any notion that, that Miami has been in on Craig Kimbrell at all, but that's a name that I think that Miami could have if they were just willing to pay. You know, like I, I sure. think that the Cubs would be willing to just give him away, honestly. And he pitched very well mm. at the end of last year, and he's still relatively young. He could probably pitch another year or two. Um, there were other players out there, as we saw, Roseli Glacius that was tr- was traded from the Cincinnati Reds. And so I think maybe that's that's potentially a route Miami could go. But financially speaking, don't see them in on, on the higher tier guys. If you want my opinion on that, I, I mm. think that paying a closer $10 million a year is foolish. I think right. that there's a strong track record for every 10 bullpen arms that are paid pretty well. Eight are usually failures. So I understand yep. it from that perspective. But if Miami is going to uh, shop on the bargain aisle for the ninth inning this year, that would be a disappointment for me. That that would right. you know, if, if they don't have something much better go, than they have right now then I think right. that everyone should be disappointed. But it is still only mid-December. And in mid-January, if they still don't, we'll come right back here. And I'll tell you that's the way that they feel. But it is a little premature for me to make that kind of judgment. So in a month, if their top arm in the bullpen, as of right now, is, I don't even know, Yimi Garcia? Yeah, right. <laughs> if, if that is the closer going into the year, I would be very scared. If I was a Marlins right. fan, I would not like that. But I, I would assume that they'll they'll have someone else. It just may happen in a longer period of time than people want. Right. Well, and and that actually segues really well into sort of the next point of conversation. You and I have have spoken ad nauseum here on this podcast about overpaying relievers. We've also spoken about the fact that the Marlins didn't need to upgrade that bullpen and at a couple of other positions and. Uh, you, you tweeted out yesterday asking people to ask questions, and we'll get to those in a little right. bit, but people seem to be uh, a bit impatient right now with the Marlins, wanting them to do something. Is that is that fair at this point? I mean, you seem to be sort of offering a bit of caution toward that, maybe wait another month. Is that is that a fair feeling for Marlins fans right now? It's great that they have passion and they want the Marlins to win. You, the Marlins can't tell us mm-hmm. that things are so great and, and they're planning on winning and they're planning on winning more without helping the team. I mean, that's, that's you know, I'm right. not going to buy that from the organization. You're going to tell me that you're planning on trying to win a World Series and win every day and win 90 games and, and, hmm. and, and you're really not doing anything. Um, I, I'm not going to buy that. But I would also say that they have, in the past few years, made some upgrades later in the game than earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's hard for me to have such a strong indictment on the offseason when we're only a month in. Uh, there's a couple things. The, the first thing is that I that I don't buy 
is is the excuse that look what everybody else is doing. I mean, if you're trying to separate yourself and be independent from the rest of the league and trying to do positive things uh, in the community, in the organization, I mean, that also applies to the baseball field, too. So uh, let's let's put them all in the same bucket here. And let's, you know, give a high five to the Chicago White Sox, right? Like they're out there trying to Mm. win right now. And maybe Miami is not in the same boat as the White Sox in terms of talent and in terms of where they are in a rebuild or build back up or whatever they want to call it. But they've been aggressive. And Miami has been very aggressive in one market, and that is the trade market. So I'm very hesitant right now to say that they're not going to do anything when the last couple of years, they've been as aggressive or more aggressive than anyone else in making trades. They acquired Starling Marte. They made that trade with the Diamondbacks. They made the trade with the Rays. And whether or not you think they've worked out, I mean, look, that we could we could do that too. But uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that nothing is going to happen because they've shocked me. All, all of those trades, as a matter of fact, sort of came out of nowhere. Those are sort yeah. of like my awareness on those came the day of the deal. Maybe I probably knew Mm -hmm. before everyone else, like hours before, but I definitely did not know. I don't think on any of those deals, now that I'm thinking about it, like days before, I had no idea on that. So that's one thing. The second thing that I'm finding in my conversations is because of the financial landscape of where baseball is, which is, again, up for another show and up for another debate, not something I'm going to do here, it seems to me that that the the lack of information that is out there from people who do what I do is is definitely something that's deliberate because of the finances and because there's a lot of players who are very unclear especially at the lower tier of their livelihood so mm. telling something to me that would be out there could potentially ruin a deal of some kind and Mm. Um, I want to be transparent with that. I do know of a few names that the Marlins have checked in on and even would go as far as to say that they want. I do know that. And it pains me to not just give you guys all those <laughs> names. But there is a different level of sensitivity I'm finding in this offseason. Mm. Like, oh, my gosh, if if that's out there, maybe somebody gets mad or it ruins a deal. And, yeah, like that makes me have to think, wow. am I going to be able to sleep at night? if I ended up potentially hurting someone in that scenario. So as things get closer, I assure you, if I feel like there is something that's going to happen or if it's close, you, I think everybody knows listening that you can count on me for that. But I will right. say this. I think that the first Marlins player to get signed in the next month or two is probably going to be a left-handed reliever. I feel like that's the market that I'm finding that they seem to be the most aggressive on. They have Richard Blyer there. Adam Conley is no longer there, and right. Alex Vessia had a little bit of a mixed bag. I know everyone is rooting for him, given his minor league success, and Daniel Castano the same, but they mm-hmm. really do not have an established left-handed pitcher outside of Blyer, and I feel like even though the names are not going to make anyone have a parade, I, I feel mm-hmm. like that is their attack at the moment. So you guys can who are listening could certainly you know pull up all the free agents and start speculating on who those are i promise that as things get closer and more heated i will be the first one to tell you who those are but at, for the time being it, it just seems to be a little bit more sensitive this offseason the last few years jeremy somebody i would get a call from whoever and i could just come out here and say hey this is who they're in on who this is who they're right. out on you know it, it's just a little different this year guys are a little afraid hey am i gonna get paid like 
teams aren't really offering money. It's so I, I don't, I'm not in the business of hurting anyone. And I think people know mm. that. So we'll, we'll have to keep it a little bit more under wraps. But let's focus on left handed relievers for the time being, because I think that that's an attack right now for Miami. Yeah, and the Marlins did add a couple of right-handed relievers to the 40-man roster via the uh, Rule 5 draft and Zach Pop and, and Paul Campbell. So, you know, looking for those lefties makes a lot of sense. Before before we get to everybody's questions from Twitter, I uh, wanted to, to stop on the player evaluation for a second and talk about the minor league affiliates, which changed up for the Marlins. Now, Jacksonville, Pensacola, Beloit, and Jupiter. Just wanted to get your thoughts real quick on the Marlins shaking things up in terms of the minor league affiliates. Yeah, I reported that a couple of months ago that that was going to change. Mm-hmm. I it, it did come to fruition. I know it's not the most exciting discussion, but it is news, so hmm. we'll just briefly talk about it here. How does it help Major League Baseball teams, and, and what does it really mean? It, it means that especially when the club is in South Florida, in Miami, or playing in Tampa, or even in Atlanta, they, they don't have to make a call to Wichita at three o'clock in the morning and wonder if they're going to have that guy in for the next day. It also makes the organization old people uh, with the Marlins very easy on a quick flight or a quick drive to go see their different people in Pensacola, Jacksonville, uh, and Jupiter. Beloit a little bit different, clearly with, with high A, they'll have to, they'll have to make that trip. They'll they'll have to fly that flight there. But, but it, but again, you're not, I don't think you're calling many, uh, last year was odd, but 2021 I don't think they're going to be calling anybody up from Beloit to play in in the big leagues sure. I don't I don't think so if they do then it's going to be not going to be a good year things have gone awry once again <laughs> it would yeah. be bad but yeah, yeah. It, it makes it real easy they they've done call-ups from Jacksonville in the past but in general it has been from New Orleans or from Wichita and and this does make it more convenient it also makes it more convenient for people within the organization to see their own players so uh, I'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that the, the ballparks are uh, brand new, state of the art, very nice, and and I and I think that the the communities of Pensacola, especially, uh, and in Jacksonville, are going to really enjoy seeing the Marlins because, in terms of the minor leagues, we don't know how they're going to be as big league players. There's a lot of questions about all their minor leaguers for sure. It's, if you didn't watch last year you, and you, you didn't think so, then you didn't watch. But at the mm-hmm. minor league level, they are going to have really good teams in AAA and AA. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that with the young pitching and the hitting that they have coming up. Uh, whether they'll be good in the big leagues, still to be determined. But in the minors, you're going to have some name, a lot of names because of yeah. COVID and everything that you saw last year here in South Florida that you're going to see now in Jacksonville and Pensacola. So that's cool. Right. It's a strange thing. We're now recognizably down the system. Normally, you know, the the deepest fans, the ones that are following those farm systems with a passion, sure, they know a couple of names. But now, really, the common Marlins fan is going to know names throughout mo- multiple sure. minor league teams, mm-hmm. which is which is sort of rare. And, you know, it's car travel to these places. So for fans who, who want to see these games, if there is any sort of attendance, I mean, if you're from Florida, you can kind of reach any of these teams. Now, we don't know what attendance will be in 2021, but that's where we're at at the moment. Um, I'm going to start going through some of these questions here. Uh, on Twitter, and I'm just going to take them chronologically in terms of how they came in to us. So uh, one of the first questions that came in, and, and I'm sorry, guys, I'm not going to do all of the ats, but one of the first questions that all came right. in was that other other than second base, right. other than second base, is there any sort of positional battle that you expect to take place this spring that, that you're sort of focused on? Center, uh, center field and right field seem to be mm. seem to be somewhat open at this point. I, I think Lewis Brinson will get another opportunity to play, but they really found uh, platooning him to be uh, a benefit. And and I think that why break something that's that's working mm-hmm. well. And so I I would think that maybe 
provided that Sierra, I know that somebody had a question about Sierra, but provided that Sierra's yeah. on the team along with with Brinson could potentially platoon there. I would not be completely opposed to that. Uh, right field is is open. Yeah, yeah. Right, right field right. is is a wide open position that is clearly not filled. There are a lot of names that could potentially play there, but just because we know their names doesn't exactly. ma- doesn't make it a solid right field position. And it and at least from the reports that I have read. It doesn't appear, at least, that there's a designated hitter in store here for 2021. And if that is the case, um, I don't think that it. I don't think it affects Garrett Cooper. I think he's going to be at first base. It certainly affects Aguilar for sure. Right. I mean, he's not going to play right field, I don't think. Although in spring training, he played shortstop a couple times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right field is wide open. I, I think JJ Bled, JJ Blade, excuse me. I think that he mm-hmm. will give it be given an opportunity to make the team and make the team out of spring training. I think he is on the fastest track of anyone, but he's had so few legitimate minor league appearances against other right. pitchers outside of the brief instructional time that they had at the end, I believe against Washington, that they, they got together and played a few games. I would have to think that he spends a month maybe in the minor leagues. I fully expect to see him in the big leagues in 2021. Mm. And so therefore... When we're talking about Monte Harrison and we're talking about Jesus Sanchez maybe at the beginning of the year or we're talking about Harold Ramirez at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. I, I simply don't think they want to block J.J. Blade. And to me, from what I have heard, he seems to be the only surefire guy that could come up immediately and hit. It's, and, and I know that that may rub some people the wrong way hmm. but of all of the guys that have come up immediately that they've acquired they really have not hit and he is the right. one that seems to me that I've been sort of told hey like this 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 kid looks like he can do it right away so I would hmm. expect a Blade by the summer at the very latest to be patrolling right field I still think Miami would be better served to bring in a veteran of some kind but again, are you bringing somebody in that's going to end up blocking Blade? That's that's the dynamic that Miami's probably has to figure out right now. Yeah, and I know when we've asked Kim Ang about you know the younger players and and that balance between signing veterans and the younger players, she's talked about how you don't really want to block those younger players. So that is an interesting dynamic to have to measure out whether you know you go in there with Monte or Harold Ramirez and then sort of pave the way for JJ to come up later. So. Um, you know, one of the guys you just mentioned, and, th- and this was a question, was someone asked if uh, if Manioi Sierra is a DFA candidate. Uh, you know, he played great uh, for the Marlins down the stretch, particularly well uh, at the end of the season and in the playoffs, but he's out of options. Um, and the Marlins are at full capacity of that 40-man roster. Do you see Sierra being DFA'd, or do you see him with the roster? Yeah, I, I, see, I see him making it. Yeah, I thought he showed enough last year to get another opportunity. The injuries are somewhat concerning because that's popped up mm-hmm. a few times now. But uh, look, I, I think that the rule of, of the extra inning rule of the player on second base is coming back again. I think that's going to continue. And Sierra is mm-hmm. really the perfect guy to have in that role. I, I know that he hit well above anybody's expectations last year. Uh, is it 60 games or is it real? Nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're not going to use that as the barometer, but he did play much better than people thought until he got hurt. So I, I would imagine that Sierra makes the team and gets another opportunity. 
Yeah, and that and that's what I would also uh, caution for Marlins fans is there should not be overreaction to last year's output in a 60 game season. And, you know, again, another thing that Kim Ang has mentioned is that they're looking more based off track record. But I think across Major League Baseball, that's sort of something I would caution fans to do is as much as we want to react to some of the positive things of last season, let's remember that over 162 games, some of those things sort of even themselves. That's out. right. Yeah. And, and by the way, for positive and for negative, I think that that, yes, speaks, both sides that, of that. that that speaks to the team. I mean, the positive is Sierra. The negative is Corey Dickerson. And if those things, exactly. those things sort of even themselves out, then that's kind of the player that you have. So, yep. um, so yeah, so I, I think that just to answer that, I believe Sierra will make the team, but look, the injuries are going to have to stop. Like that, that's a, that's a little concerning, right. I think. Beyond that, I think he's good. Yeah. Uh, going back to the bullpen real quick, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Alex Fessia before. Right. Um, someone asked specifically with Jordan Holloway, Alex Fessia, and Jorge Guzman, of those three arms, which is the most likely to, to make the roster or even make an impact on that roster uh, in the 2021 season, those are kind of the three young guys we saw come up last year. Sure, yeah, I I think that as as I've mentioned, they are shopping mm-hmm. pretty heavily for left-handed pitchers, so that does tell me that I believe Vesia probably starts the season in the minors. That that's mm. that's what I'm guessing if that's the case. So then you're looking at Holloway and you're looking at Guzman. I think Holloway definitely needs some time in the yeah. minors without a yeah. doubt. And so Guzman would be the one that would be the one. I am mm-hmm. Guzman could use some more time there too. But I, I think that for me, I, I think that he would be a stronger possibility to, to make the club. Although I would not be surprised at all to see Guzman, um, even the closer in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I, I would, yeah. that's, that's, probably what I would do I'd probably put him in the ninth inning in Jacksonville and see if they can develop him as a closer. I think the time, the time to, to, to make him a starter is, and I know that it's a question. I don't think it's a question that anybody has asked yet this year, but I know that when we, when we used to ask Mike Hill, he, they, the, uh, Mike would always maintain that he was a starting pitcher. And, mm-hmm. and I suppose that's a question that's going to need to be asked pretty soon. But you know, we, we're really, we really haven't gotten that far down the roster yet yeah. to, to answer those kind of questions. Yeah. Uh, all right. So going back to um, the second base position, obviously we've spoken on here about yes. how it's really between Jazz Chisholm, Isan Diaz at the moment. Um, do you see the Marlins signing a veteran to compete with those two guys? Do you think that the Marlins should sign a veteran to compete with those two guys? What are you thinking about the second base position at the moment? Yeah, if the Marlins don't attack second base in the in the offseason with a veteran, I think they're making a very big mistake. I, I don't think that mm. they have a good backup plan there. I could easily see Diaz and, and Jazz being good. I could easily see both of them struggling. We've seen both of them struggle. We've seen spots where both have been good. There's no possible way that the organization can know whether or not either of them is going to succeed at the big league level. And they have so, and to me, look, they have John Birdie there and, 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 and Birdie's a very nice player who can play four days a week in different positions. And he certainly should make the team, but I, I don't know. I, 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 I tend to think that in the end, uh, regardless of what is said about Eson, I think Jazz Chisholm is going to get more of an opportunity yep. to play. And and that's not to say, and I want to be very careful here how I say it, it's not to hmm. say that 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 Jazz Chisholm is, is Marlon CEO's Derek Jeter's guy, because <laughs> all of the players are his guy, but let's call it how it is. I mean, at least from my belief, I believe that the reason why Miami acquired 
Jazz Chisholm was partly due to uh, Derek Jeter's evaluation of him. I will say that. Sure. So I, I think he's going to get more of the opportunity. They're saying it's going to be a spring training battle of some kind, and maybe that is indeed the case. Isan is a extreme, and so is Jazz, extremely nice kid. They're both very, very yeah, nice. They really are. But, the, but the reality mm-hmm. is, is that you can't tell me that you've seen enough from Isan at this point Mm -hmm. to know that he could play every day in the big leagues. It's not possible. So that's definitely a position that they're going to go in uh, to the season not knowing. And and, and to me, Mm -hmm. being a little bit out of weakness without a a solid backup plan, maybe that backup plan is birdie. Maybe. Right. I mean, I would be crazy to think Miguel Rojas would move from short to second. But look, eventually, maybe that's something that could happen. I don't think it's this year, but maybe in the future. So yeah, I I think the I think Miami would be making a mistake not adding a veteran at that position, and and Logan Forsythe did the best he possibly could. He probably is playing at the end of his career last year, but that was yeah. not a that was not a signing that you could say, oh gosh, well if these two kids aren't ready and they're really struggling, what do we do? Like they didn't have that backup plan a couple of years ago for Brinson. Like what do right. you do if if uh, Eson beats out Jazz and Eson starts off? I don't know, 0 for 20 or something. Oh, boy, exactly. here we go. Like, well, okay, so what's the plan? I mean, what, I, there is no plan. We do not, we do not have <laughs> right. anyone as a backup. So, right. and, and, and no indictment on Sean Rodriguez or, or any of these other players who they've brought in. They're all veterans who have played at high levels and in and, and respect to them. My wildest dreams, I would have loved to be a Sean Rodriguez playing Major League Baseball, oh. and, as we all would. But as the Marlins get to this next level and, and tell us that, things are moving forward right you have to have backup plans in place you cannot count on every single one of these young kids to hit i've probably talked about this a million times on this podcast i think the most it's delusional the most common theme <laughs> the most delusional that i see on social media of the marlins fans is that all of these young guys who they acquired are going to end up being good. right like you right. could not be more misinformed like there is right. no chance of that happening and it's there's impossible. a better chance that most of them don't end up being as good as you think they are. It's it's mm-hmm. the reality of baseball. It's not the Marlins fault. It's it, this is what happens. It's a game of failure. It, yeah, I mean that's the it whole is. that's it, the whole game. It is. And and to think that that every one of these young guys is a star and they're hitting in the winter league and all. I mean, come on. Like have you not <laughs> watched every team in Major League Baseball? They would be uh, very fortunate if any of these young guys turned out to be a star. Just one of them turned out to right. be a star. That's that's the nature of the game. And, and I don't hold the Marlins accountable for that. It's it's not easy to do. Uh, so that's that's kind of where that's at, at second base. Yet, I, I believe it will be a competition, and, and the Marlins publicly are, are pretty solid in terms of telling us what's going to happen, and then it usually does happen since this new regime's taken over, pretty much told us, and that's the deal. So it looks like the second base position is going to be battled out between Isan and Jazz, I think without a backup plan, it's a mistake. That's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. So so a couple things on that. Number one, you're telling me that the guy who uh, is a shortstop and wears number two for the organization is is Derek Jeter's boy? I, I'm shocked by this news. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But- <laughs> what, what, by, by the way, can I get some clarification on that a little bit? What what, what, what happened there? What, 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 was, on Jazz was- changing his number to number two? Yeah, what, what, what did he did the Marlins? He just say announced it. He announced oh, okay. it on social media. Yeah, he he, did? he okay. said he was. Uh, he asked if he should reveal his new number 
uh, on social media, and then he posted a uh, a photo of a Chisholm with number he two. Did. On the back. Okay, yeah, I thought yep. I, I thought I saw that. I wasn't a hundred percent sure on that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that Jazz isn't putting any extra pressure on himself. It's per- great, <laughs> great idea, Jazz. Perfect idea. Hey, I, I mean, maybe I, maybe what Jazz should do is also get shoot, uh, the new kicks with two on the back too. It'd be awesome. Hey, I like it. I like the uh, I like the uh, the confidence there. But mm-hmm. uh, you're right. When you're adding a when you when you're going into these scenarios, and and we talked about it ad nauseum again with Brinson. I mean, it, it was the ultimate example of not having a backup plan back when Brinson was just thrust into that position. And when teams are trying to compete at this level, what you can't do is fall backwards with a veteran. When you have a veteran come in to replace that young guy, it needs to be because that veteran has produced. And over the last couple of years, the veterans that have been there, when the younger guys have floundered, they have not been veterans that were ready to produce at the same level that they once had. It was guys on the back end of their careers. That's correct. Not really ready mm-hmm. to step in when you look at, God, Neil Walker and Curtis Granderson were great those guys. guys a couple of years a ago. Great, great, great guys. guys but, great guys. But and, at the and, back end of their careers. That's right. You know, and, and, not, and, not ready to produce. And it, and it could come via trade. Again, this this is why I'm hesitant with the Marlins in particular because they've kind of snaked mm-hmm. me on a few trades here where it's like I didn't think yeah. things were going to happen, and they did. And, you know, there'll be an evaluation time on those too, but it's like – Oh, Craig Mish talked about in the podcast how the Marlins are doing nothing, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they make this huge trade with another team. Like that's kind of right. happened. So I, I want to yeah. be a little a little careful <laughs> here because I don't want to get burned because they have sort of shocked me there. But I, I'm just telling you from free of a free agency point of view, it's not like I don't think that that they're going to grab Marcus Simeon and put him at second base and pay him two years and seventeen million, and then sending Jazz to AAA and with Eson. Like I just don't think that that's happening. Right. Right. Well, all right. So I'm looking at these questions. A lot of people are asking those same questions that we've already sort of answered. Profile of a bat. What does Isan Diaz future look like? What's sure. second base? Mm-hmm. One one last question here uh, that I think sort of applies to what we've been talking about. We haven't touched is the catcher position. Yes. Which at the yes. end of last year, um, you know, we saw Chad Wallach playing uh, almost the entire playoffs we for the Marlins. Yeah. Um, it's just Wallach and Alfaro. Um, obviously, you know, the, the, those are our two options that theoretically we'd like to see the Marlins upgrade um, or at least bring in somebody to compete on that same level. What what have you heard about catcher? What do you expect the Marlins to do with the catcher position? Uh, I don't think Jorge Alfaro is the long-term answer at catcher. He may be the answer right. this year. They may give him another opportunity to do that. The, the things that are said publicly and privately are completely different. Don Mattingly, who is is one of the best ever and so so fortunate to be able to cover him on a daily basis is mm-hmm. never going to throw any of his players under the bus and uh but in this case as as you know Donnie if I mean he probably would never say it publicly or privately I don't know but uh Donnie you played Wallach every day in the postseason right you know? like I mean if that doesn't tell you what <laughs> they think about Jorge Alfaro, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be put the blinders on on that one. Does that mean that Eddie Rodriguez and some of the development people can't make Jorge a better receiver uh, and better uh, game caller? No, I mean, that could happen. Players develop at different stages. But to this point, Jorge has not. So I, I would, if I had to guess, this is just a guess for me for full transparency. If I had to guess, they bring in a, well, I mean, maybe Chad gets another chance. I don't know. But if if they bring in someone, it'll be more of a defensive-minded receiver. And then I think the next year, I think that they're really going to have to consider 
uh, free agency and, and attacking a higher level uh, type catcher. But look, maybe mm-hmm. maybe this year will click for Alfaro. And, uh, and publicly, that is exactly what the organization is going to say over and over again. But I, I think that sometimes actions speak a lot louder than words. And in baseball, who are you playing? You're not playing right. Alfaro. So, uh, yeah, that, that's going to have to be uh, second base catcher right field probably going to have yeah. to be the bigger questions going into the season although they do have options in right field to hold the fourth down so to speak but mm-hmm. uh, you you can't go into the season and tell me that the Marlins in, are, are better than 20 teams at catcher going into 2021 and you certainly can't tell me that they're better at second base than 20 teams in Major League Baseball in 2021 can't do it yeah I think the general consensus here would just have to be that while sure you could go into next year with just Jazz and Isan, and sure you could go into next year with just you know Alfaro and Wallach behind the plate, if you're not making any upgrades anywhere at those three positions, that's where it would be problematic. Where sure you can make the decision at one of those positions, whether it be right field, whether it be second base, whether it be catcher, to just go in with what you got. But if there are not upgrades anywhere besides the bullpen, which seemingly right now is only being made through trades, it would be a bit of a disappointment for a team coming off a playoff appearance that's that's talking about competing for the division again, whether whether that's realistic or not over 162 games. Yeah, at some point, you have to stop making excuses and and, and calling it what it is. And if you're going to bring in a player, as you alluded to earlier, which is a really good illustration— it's got to be a player that you're planning on having a legitimate amount of success. And, mm-hmm. and the players that they have brought in to sort of fill gaps have not. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. that's the truth. They've been great people, but they have not performed. Uh, you know, Last year, Matt Kemp did not make the team out of spring training. No. That was a name that we heard a lot about going into yeah, we did. spring training. You, you cannot tell me Matt Joyce played well last year. I'm sorry. He made yeah. some nice defensive plays in the postseason, but I, I, he did not play well. And mm. I, that, that's just my opinion. He, he did not look right. good to me. Um, he had some moments. Yeah, sure. But it's not <laughs> a player you can play every day. And, right. and, I, and, I, and I think that you're right. And, and, and look, we may be down this road again. They may sign another veteran going on his last year and all that. I think it's time to stop that. I think it's time to legitimately mm-hmm. say... Hey, let's bring in someone that, man, if a couple things don't go right, we have a guy that's going to play every day for us and is not 35. <laughs> like, right. That could play like today. Right. And, and, exactly. that comes, and that comes at a price. But maybe maybe it comes via trade. They have arguably the deepest farm system in starting pitching in all of Major League Baseball. And, and far be it from me to say, hey, you got to trade – Braxton Garrett, or you got to trade Trevor Rogers to get one of those guys back. I mean, pitching is a strong currency in baseball that people don't have. Right. But there are also young offensive players in minor league systems that are on the brink of the majors that are equal in talent that play the infield that would be considered yep. similar to like the two names I just mentioned, Garrett and Rogers. Rogers a little bit on the higher scale. I think he's part of the rotation, sure. but we can use Garrett as an example. Is Braxton yeah. Garrett going to be better than the five guys the Marlins have? I don't know. Is he going to be better than the number three guy on 15, 20 teams in the big leagues? Maybe so. So you have <laughs> that advantage to do it. But what happens in baseball is that pitching is such a commodity 
that sometimes teams get a little overvalued on that and they don't want to necessarily give it away. And I understand you have to have as much young pitching as possible. Let's also not forget what did the Marlins do in the draft? They drafted all starting pitchers (laughs) going into the draft. They're going to have them keep, they're going to keep on coming here. And then the year before they drafted pitchers as well that, that potentially could start in the big league. So Let's not get caught up in overvaluing these guys. If, if someone right now could pitch in the big leagues, but they're the eighth best pitcher on your team or seventh best pitcher on your team, maybe, you know, hit the trade a little bit. Let, let's let's see yep. if there's a young guy somewhere on another team that the Marlins are at a deficiency in the infield, maybe the outfield. Let's, let's see if we can package up a trade. And seems to me that may be the more likely route they go. And that's what some of those great small market teams that have won over the number of years have done. They've been able to evaluate their own farm systems, know where their strengths are, know where their weaknesses are, and be able to swap and and, and make these things happen. And look, you saw the Marlins do something similar when they traded Zach Gallen straight up for Jazz Chisholm, right? That was a, hey, we have an overabundance of pitching. Let's go get an infielder. So we've seen the Marlins do it before, and and it'll be interesting to see if we can do it again. Um, That's pretty much it in terms of uh, the questions here. Uh, A lot of them are sort of repeating themselves. So are there any final notes that you want to leave Marlins fans with as we wrap up uh, this episode of Swings and Mishes, Craig? Yeah, well, well, look, I, I know that there are a lot of reports out there. When will the season start? Will it start on time? Players are planning on it. And, and look, the, the whole battling as to as to all that isn't something that's fun. In the end, I'm a fan, so I, I hate to hear this sort of stuff, and it drives me nuts. But hopefully that ship gets in order. I, I know that I, I saw some things in Palm Beach that Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium's preparing to have fans there and, and putting in different things. So that's a positive. And, um, and look, I, I just hope that in two months from now we're getting ready to – to be able to cover spring training. I'm hopeful that fans will be able to, that's a whole nother conversation, not for this podcast for sure, but hopefully I'm hopeful that, that we could be down that road for sure. And, and I assure you that anybody who listens to, to us, whether, you know, whether you're a fan or, or you're, you're basically within uh, baseball and you're listening to me and, and wondering, you know, what I know and what I don't know, uh, I'm 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 hopeful that this all gets worked out for all of us. I think it's important. I think that for what we do, for what the Marlins do, for what everyone in Major League Baseball does, is to is to quit the bickering and and all this stuff. And let's just you know try to have a, a really good baseball season coming up. Baseball mm-hmm. happens to be in a really good spot coming in. I mean, here the NBA is again, and 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 it's great that it's starting this weekend, but no fans again. You know, like in a lot right. of the places, they can't have it. I mean. I mean, there's a good chance that things will be significantly better come April, uh, yeah. and, if not, and if not May. There's there's a chance of that. So that's my hope. I try to stay positive with this stuff. When I see the negative stories, I, I tend to drown them out. But uh, again, thank you. This is, as Jeremy mentioned, our 99th episode. Thank you, everyone, for supporting us throughout and and listening, and, and certainly the encouragement is always fun. And if anybody ever wants to reach out and, and ask questions, you know how to find Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Taché, at Swings and Mishes on Twitter, at Craig Mish. Any questions that you may have, any different things you'd like to see us do in 2021, we're always open for that conversation. So with that, I want to wish everybody a very happy holiday, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, uh, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate out there. Just keep you and your family safe. And we may talk before 2021, but if we don't, Happy New Year as well. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs>